Well, hey, it's Seth, and I'm here with one of our church comm team partners, Josh Caro, who works as the comms director at Fairfield Baptist Church. Thanks for being here, man. I would love to hear what has been good about working with church comm team. Yeah, so probably the the most that I've, I've enjoyed is just the amount of knowledge and wisdom that I've gained from the comm side and just really meshing that with uh, ministry. We realize that if there is not a good, efficient internal process of how it all works, of how we're able to see the same vision and communicate that, then we can't do that to each ministry. Well, that's awesome to hear because it is really important to us to make sure that you guys are communicating uh, clearly and powerfully, but also connecting everything to your ministry, what's going on in the life of the church. So um, that's incredible to hear. Thank you so much for your time, man. And it's really a privilege to get to work with you guys. Amen. Same. Whether you're starting from scratch or you're trying to grow, ChurchCom Team can help you with your communications at your church. Go to churchcomteam.com and request a free consultation today. We feel like that the biblical model of church is everybody comes together and creates an experience that is unique and better because of everybody's participation there. Church online is not a a Hebrews 10 issue. It's a Mark 16 issue where Jesus says, go into all the world and, and preach the good news. A big part of how we define success moving forward is to recognize that the people online have value and they are truly members of our congregation. Culture everywhere within society has adapted, yet we, the church, are still stuck in this 2020, and is it even really working? So, hey, why are we going back to that again? I think organizations and churches that have the ability to dream and haven't been able to actually execute, like, this is where you have the chance to fail forward. So, welcome to the Seminary of Hard Knocks. Hey, Megan, Hebrews 10.25 has been the primary scripture people have pushed back on the idea of online church. It's, uh, it, it's, it's common to say we should not forsake gathering together, and, and a lot of churches are using that to say we should not gather online. However, pandemic happened, and then mm. everybody had to gather online, right? Mm, we had to figure it out. We were forced to realize the realities of, of the world we're in in the pandemic, and now on the back end of that, we're seeing some face with a decision. We're all churches faced with this decision. Do we go forward with online? How are we how are we doing that? And as people start to come back, they're saying, let's just focus on the in-person again and go back to the way things were. But are people really starting to come back? Yeah, I think people, we've seen people respond in three different ways, right? We've okay. seen them either go back to prioritizing in person and just simply streaming services to Facebook and YouTube. They're right. just, whatever they're ha- is happening in the building, you're just watching it. Right. Or they're going all in with a hybrid approach. So kind of doing in-person and online services, which is double the effort, double the work. Yeah. Double or the manpower. Number, double the like manpower. That. Yeah. Or number three, they're going back to prioritizing in-person services while attempting to do the online strategy thing with no extra resources, no extra manpower and or no extra attention from leadership. So there's challenges with all of those. And, and that third one basically is kind of a setup to fail situation. Really, is. eventually, eventually, yes, it's going to fall apart. There's a couple different 
viewpoints on this and you know i have mine you have yours but um our guest today definitely has one that is is he's familiar with controversy on this situation and this <laughs> subject so i i thought of nobody better to talk about as we you know start our podcast off again with uh on especially on this issue uh the future of the online church is is ever moving and so uh he actually published an article i think on a major news network and man did the did the, did the opinions come out of the woodwork on that? But uh, that's where we really saw this major pushback. Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake gathering together. It was major pushback about online church because uh, he had the audacity to say, hey, we could do it. And so um, I brought him, I wanted to bring Dave on to talk through that and not just that, that article, but just this whole subject because he's actually writing a book. It's been a long journey for Dave Adamson. And we're glad to have him on the show. We're going to talk about his book. We're going to talk about the future of online church and ministry and going beyond just streaming services, uh, how to use digital ministry to reach people and make disciples. So um, you can reach him at Aussie Dave pretty much anywhere on the socials that uh, exist. Um, let me kind of summarize, Megan. He's got a long list of, of accomplishments here. I want His to, bio is hefty. It's hefty. He's been around. He's done some stuff. Okay. He wants us to talk about him for like 30 minutes. I he think. was like, I, I can really... write, he was, he was like, I could write more if you want, but I'm just trying to be yeah. concise. So, uh, I got a page or so. I here. feel like I have to jump in here. You know, <laughs> come on. Like I'm sitting here quietly with my microphone turned off. Come on. <laughs> Honestly, you are, uh, quite the force to be reckoned with in this space. And I'm, I'm very happy to have you on. So a decade as a TV reporter and in, in sports, uh, TV, what is it? Sports networks, things like that. Uh, you're from Australia, moved to the States in 08, work with Andy Stanley at North point doing, um, online and in social ministry there, uh, online. I think you were online pastor at that church at some point. Um, definitely known for your photography. Uh, you're an author. You're writing this book. You've written a couple books already. And now the director of Orange Australia and New Zealand, where you partner with 10,000 churches around the world to provide strategies and systems for online ministry. That's pretty crazy. One of your books is 52 Hebrew words every Christian should know. And uh, anything else, man? There's so many good things here to talk about. Uh, you're married, well, have three kids, uh, three daughters. You teach devotionals. Um, welcome to the show, Dave Adamson. Uh, it's so great to be here. And here's the thing. You're, 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 if you're listening to this podcast, what you're missing right now is the fact that Megan is asleep. She is like literally <laughs> like she's nodding off. I, I'm pretty sure her face is resting on her microphone. And she's just like, oh, is this going to go on for much longer? Brilliant. <laughs> That's I'm a high. Just, you'll, you'll need to make this a video podcast. Like I'm just relaxed, you guys. That's it. Comfortable. <laughs> Hey, I get a lot of work done with my feet up too. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, working at home is great. Brilliant. Brilliant. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, our pleasure. We're really glad to have you. But one first thing, let's talk about this book that you're writing, which yeah. is bound to stir up a lot of things. It's called Disciple Click, which you yeah. might need to see the cover to really understand the pun there. Yes, it's the word discipleship with the ship cut out. Uh, you know, crossed out and click put in there because the idea is that, you know, the, the whole premise of this is that, you know, I really believe that we can make disciples leveraging technology, leveraging social media, leveraging YouTube, leveraging TikTok, leveraging podcasts and mm -hmm. email and all those sorts of things. And these need to be part of, in my opinion, every church's 
strategy moving forward uh, when it comes to discipleship. And and the book is really about how we can leverage technology to do that, but also to reach more people, right? Um, We've got to reach the communities where God has called us to live in. And I totally believe the best way to do that is leveraging technology. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the book you've got. Um, you're going to cover that, but you've broken it basically in like three kind of sections, right? At this point, I really haven't even given them a title for each section yet. Okay. But essentially what I'm working with is, you know, it's a it's a book for Christians and books for ministries and churches. So it's, you know, it's specifically focused on ministry. Um, and so I've made an alliteration currently out of it. So it's all P's. The first P is all about the philosophical. Um, and that is really the the argument for uh, leveraging technology. Um, you know, we're going to talk through some areas. What, what I talked through is some areas in church history where we've missed the boat when it comes to technology and, and perhaps the thinking that led to us missing the boat. Um, and then it talks about, you know, some of the fears that uh, pastors have around the, ch- the online uh, world and you know, I, and I'm not pushing back against them. I'm actually validating them. I'm actually trying to say, hey, in all of my time as a social media and online pastor, here are some of the concerns that I have. And they're, they're totally valid. But mm-hmm. here's another way to look at that. Here's a different turn of that, that um, you know, that crystal or diamond or whatever. You know, if you look at it from a different angle, there's, there's different opportunities. So the first right. part is all about philosophical. The next section, which is the longest section, is all about the practical. So what are some practical things we can do to shift our ministry, to shift our thinking and our strategy towards an online world or, or in the middle of an online world. So it's not really down to, hey, the algorithm on TikTok is doing this, the algorithm on Instagram is doing that. Because if I talk about that, in three months, the book is null and void, right? Yeah, it'll totally change. It'll change. Yeah, so it's more of an approach to the practical. But there are some things I think that we've learned about social media, YouTube, podcasting that we can that we can put into play now practically that will take us into the next uh, era of technological advancement. And then the last, um, you know, the last section of the book is all about you know, predicting what the future might might bring. And it's not about uh, me saying the next technology is this and this is how you should do it. It's more of a posture of, you know, we know we know technology is only going to enhance in our lives. It's not getting less. Amazon's not suddenly going, you know what? I don't know if this online thing's working. Let's just change our model. They're not going to do that, right? Pull back it's, a little bit. Let's just pull back on the, yeah. dial back on the digital a little bit. Um, We're making too much that. money here. We've, we've exactly. really got too much money. Exactly. So it's going to only increase. And so in the last section, I just talk about, hey, here are some of the things that are coming. But more than that, here's the way of thinking that will make your church future proof. If you are asking these questions about your model, then you're more likely to be able to adapt as as new technology comes uh, into the playing field. Awesome. It's a it's a posture of preparedness. Oh, that's a good. There's another. Right, so that word. may make a run, and you know we'll see. I'll I'll Steal talk to that. you if that's going to get a run. I'll take a quarter for every book sale. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> three words, and he wants a quarter, Megan. What's that about? Hey, he literally dude, said three words. It's Stingy. catchy, man. It's catchy. <laughs> uh, so before we get into anything like on the practical side, because you're going to hit a lot of those things today in this show, and kind of kind of briefly talk through some of those, those areas and kind of what we're, we're talking about with church. Yeah. But before we do that, I think it's important we get into a biblical view of okay. gathering. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that I, I mentioned at the top of the show that uh, there's a verse in Hebrews that's often used to push back. <laughs> I know you've responded to this multiple times, <sighs> but uh, I want to go to the Bible. So here it is, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. It says, and let us consider 
how because you often do the just 25 and you just get 25 yeah. quoted but this is actually oh. a, half of a sentence so totally. here's the whole sentence it says and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds yeah not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day capitalized approaching. Yeah. So this verse is used to say, you can't <laughs> not meet in person. Yeah. So how does that make you feel, Dave Adamson? Does that make well, you feel? <laughs> gosh, there's so many things to unpack. And yes, you're right. This is of, of all the, um, of all the biblical arguments against leveraging online technology this is the one that uh is quoted most often to me and and i'm sure you guys as well you know and and people who are listening who do online technology this is the one you probably hear the most as well and and, and it's a it's a great verse like it seems to imply so much but there's so much more to it from the original language um which we could delve into we could delve into the use of the word gathering together in greek throughout the new testament and see what that actually means we could also talk about it you know the word gathering appears in the hebrew Hebrew text as well. And we could talk about what it means in Hebrew. But for me, the, the, the way I always um, refer to it, uh, the way I always, I, I don't want to say counter that because that seems so negative, but but my response typically is, is multiple things. The first one is to me, this is church online is not a, a Hebrews 10 issue. It's a Mark 16 issue um, where Jesus says, go into all the world and, and preach the good news. Like that's what it is to me. So it's all about going into all the world. And literally right now, the three of us could create a video. If it featured a cat falling over or getting water splashed onto it, it would go into all the world by tomorrow and millions of people would have seen it. So that's what leveraging technology means to me. It's not about, it's not a, it's not a Hebrews issue. It's more of a, a Mark issue in, in my mind. But also I think we cherry pick, yeah. <laughs> we cherry pick the things that, that suit us. Now, do you think about that word gather? When that was written, the author of Hebrews, right? Because we don't know who the author is. Um, most men assume that it's it's Paul. I personally don't think it was Paul. I think it was probably Priscilla, but that's a whole other issue. Yeah. But the reality is we don't know who wrote it. But to that person, in the first century, there was only one form of gathering together, and that was physical. That's not the case now. But likewise, if I wanted to cherry pick, I could cherry pick a verse and I could cherry pick, you know, a verse from Malachi 3.10, which says, bring your whole tithe into the storehouse. The implication there is you have to bring the tithe with you. So don't, churches should not accept electronic funds ever again. Churches should not mm -hmm. accept um, FPOS or credit card or online giving or, or any of those sorts of things because we have to actually bring it with us. Churches should only accept cash. Now, nobody's going to make that argument. Right. This is reminding me, I heard somebody talk about uh, the idea of how we just like to create nuance everywhere. And anytime you're you're talking about nuance, you're making something nuanced, you're just introducing confusion. Exactly. And it's just too, like, we. if you're trying to do, if you're trying to pick through nuance, you're just getting confusion. And that's not the way to go. Yeah. Centuries of church tradition tells us that the, that, that the Bible is black and white. And so therefore gather means one thing. And mm -hmm. no, it doesn't. Like, I think we're given a mandate in scripture to apply it to our modern day context. That's really what this is about. And, and so for me, if you're going to cherry pick one, we have to cherry pick all of the others and don't accept cash anymore. Uh, don't accept anything other than cash anymore churches. Yeah. But it's also, for me, it also comes down to like, if I can use another Bible verse, you know, often the most quoted verse when it comes to uh, church community, the gathering of people into an ecclesia around the church is 
Acts 2, right? Acts yes. 2 is, uh, that's the ideal scenario because mm. we all read Acts 2.42 and we're like, that's what it's all about. And we all want the payoff of Acts 2.47, which is, and the Lord added to their number daily, right? We, right. Th- I've heard countless passages. That's what we're, our goal is. But we skip over Acts 2.46, which says, and they gathered together daily, every day. So we have this, we want God to add to us daily, but we're only prepared to meet once a week and really for only for an hour at a certain time in a certain place. So, cause that's convenient for us. Yeah. Yet when people, the people in the community say, well, it's actually more convenient for us to be video on demand and to watch it in our time. We all go, no, Hebrews 10, 25 on them, but we still want Acts 247. We're just not prepared to do Acts 246. And in the modern world, Acts 246 plays out online. How many people do you connect with every single day, either through text, email, social media, TikTok, YouTube, whatever it might be, right? That's the reality. So I think uh, I always push back scripture with scripture. And it's not to create an argument. It's just to say, because I know there's people listening now going, dude, that Malachi 310, that doesn't apply. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't. I'm not saying it's a black and white thing. <laughs> yeah. But if you're making one thing black and white, let's make it all black and white. Right. And, and I think what's also funny to me and ironic about that argument is that we're reading that argument in a written letter <laughs> in which he was not present when it was read and instructed to the church. It, it, it was to. Exactly. He wasn't Isn't... there to commune with them. Or she. Or she, or she, Hebrews, or she, don't know. the writer, the writer was not there. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but like that irony to me in that situation is a little, it's a little on the nose, but um, I yeah. think it's fair to say, well, but you mentioned the Greek word here. I wanted to get into that for just a second. It I literally to, means. I want you to say, say oh, this man. out loud. I know you're ready. Yeah, so I, know. I want him to say it as well. I do want to say this. I took four semesters of Greek in my undergraduate degree. You've been preparing your whole life for this moment. That was yes. 15 years ago and I barely <laughs> passed. So I'm going to do my best. Here we go. Episunajogin. I think you just cursed. <laughs> Did I? Episunajogin. I was honestly expecting you to just like fly through this word so with ease and then you just Episunajogin. Yeah. Uh, I, I have no idea. Uh, but I know that the Greek word means literally to gather together. There's really yeah. not a lot of context just with that word. It's used everywhere Would you else say that there's used. not a lot of nuance to that? Not word? a lot of nuance, particularly. But in that passage and context, it's an exhortation to remain faithful to the community of belief, which, yeah. by the way, when you look at that community of belief, he's saying, don't forsake giving meeting together. You've got Jews who have become Christians and Greeks who have become Christians meeting together in a church, coming together from backgrounds that are not Christian at all. And so meeting together kept that community of discipleship for each other alive. Is that, how does that play into this understanding of forsaking? Is that one of the reasons why he would say don't forsake, or is it just you just need to meet together because how else are we going to know who you yeah. are? Dude, I know that this is not the uh, this is not the purpose of the podcast to delve into the Greek and the Hebrew of scripture. Like I know that there's other it things. Can that we, it, it can be though. It can be. But you're yeah. 100% right. That word, we've taken it to mean gather together physically because it suits the purpose of the argument that we're trying mm-hmm. to make. But that idea of it meaning to stay faithful 
right? That's implying that in a first century context, there were people who came from worship pagans, who came from worshiping other gods or multiple gods. Right. The writer is saying, hey, now that you're following one, the one God, be faithful to that. Don't, don't, don't risk going off into your little sidebars with your, you know, your little altar to another God, to an, un, do, you know, do you know what I mean? It's all of that yeah. sort of stuff that plays into this. This is, again, it, it, it is a gray, it's, it, it's, it's gray and we got to apply it to the context. And I just don't think it's the right context to say, therefore we have to give up um, mm-hmm. meeting together online. That doesn't count because let's be honest from 20 March, 2020 to, you know, I, I mean, essentially midway through or all the way through 2021, that was the only option we had. And everybody was okay with it then. Everybody was. Yeah. We have to just get made online. So we have to do it. Oh, we're all okay with it now. And everybody's theology around Hebrews 10.25 went out the window. Right. But now we're going to bring it back because it suits our purpose now. So there's a lot more nuance, Megan, to use your word, to the to, to, to the agenda behind, you know, it's crouching church hidden agenda. We've all got this hidden agenda nice. that we want um, we want people to come to the building because that's the model that we've set up. And but really, you know, I think I, I think you know Jesus talked about this. The container needs to change, right? As things start to, you know, he used wineskins, but I'm using the word container. Some days I need more coffee than not. I haven't thought this through. This might be a terrible analogy. Sometimes I need more coffee. So I literally will grab a bigger cup to put the coffee in, right? The coffee to me is the gospel. Terrible analogy. Now that I'm hearing it for the first time, it's not great. The liquid (laughs) in the container is the gospel. That should never change. But the container that holds it can change. And that's that's what I mean. And and in my mind, you know, a church that's um, a church that is meeting people every day online, gathering together once a week to to corporately uh, worship, to corporately meet. Mm -hmm. I think that's as valid as just the weekly attendance only. And I think we've just gotten it a little bit wrong. To your point earlier, Seth, if Paul had adopted this note, the only way we can disciple people is when they're sitting in front of us and in a on a particular day at a particular time, then 13 of the 27 books that he wrote in the scriptures wouldn't be there. Oh, sorry, 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament wouldn't be there because right. he wrote letters constantly to people who were miles away, miles away from him. Yeah. But he kept doing that because he knew that he was leveraging the technology of his day, which was letter writing. It's, it's so fascinating to me that mm-hmm. we... We come into it with an agenda. We come in and look at everything through a filter and we say it has to fit in this sort of box. The gospel doesn't fit in the box. The gospel doesn't deserve to be shoved into a box that man has created. It deserves to be free flowing. And we right. we, we have to get out of that container mentality. Right. right. This reminds me of a conversation that I had with uh, a woman. Her name's Liz Bohannon. She runs a company called Seiko Designs. I might've talked about this on this podcast. It keeps coming up over and over. She's amazing. But she, she is amazing. Uh, but one of the things that she talked about was there's a difference between your what and your how. Your what never changes. Yeah, the how is always subject to change. Yeah. yeah. And that's what happened in the pandemic. We right. were all yeah. forced to go back to the, the what. Right. Exactly. And what is the what? This is the big question. This is, and this is the question that I try to unpack in the book, right? What is the what for the capital C church? Because every church has a, a different what, right? That mm-hmm. might be to reach their local community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the big what for the capital C, Jesus made it super clear, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. It comes mm-hmm. down to those two things. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would quote Andy Stanley in this, marry the model, date the mission. The mission is, yeah, I love that. Um, 
which we're married to, which never changes. The mission is go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. The model can shift. The model yeah. can change. The model's been changing for generations, right? Pre-electricity, churches only met during the day. The light bulb gets invented. The church, not surprisingly, says, no, that's of the devil and we can't use light bulbs in church. Now, how many churches do night services? The the the, the moving pictures, the, you know, the technology to create film and, and, and to have video starts to get introduced. And the church says, no, we can't be using that. Um, but now, how many screens are in the average church? Like literally, like TV screens, uh, IMAG screens, like they're absolutely everywhere. Because, But we rejected that technology. Technology yeah. has changed over and over and over again. And the, the, the container has changed. The model has changed over and over again. Right. You think about Jesus preached, very first time he preaches in the Gospels, right? He was in a synagogue. In a synagogue, the way that it's set up is the, 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 the pulpit. They wouldn't have called it that. They would have called it the bema, which was the stand upon which the scriptures were, mm-hmm. were placed, was in the middle and everybody was around them, right? That's, that's the first model that Jesus preached into from in a synagogue. Right. Yet the Greek theater comes in and influences the church so much that now we have a stage with everybody looking one direction, not into the center, right? Everybody looks in one direction. That's because of the Greeks invented this thing and everybody liked it. And so the church shifted its model, yet nobody talks about that. And with the printing press, you see printing the church press. model that with the two two columns. So the churches, we have the pews that were straightforward and it looks like that. Yep. Yeah. I, I want to actually suggest <laughs> one thing before we move, before we move on um, that, the first model shift is actually ordained and spoken by Jesus in the Bible. Yeah. It's uh, John chapter four. He's talking to the woman at the well. And when he says all the things he says to her about her husband and, you know, you don't, yeah, you don't, you only have three husbands and one you're with now is not your husband and all that. She yeah. says, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I get it. You're a prophet. And then she immediately goes into the argument between the Samaritans and Jews, right? It's where do we worship? That was the yeah. problem. The Samaritans set up their own temple, which was against law, and Jews hated them for it. And so they ostracized them. So they worshiped in the wrong place. Yeah. And so she brings that issue up and says, um, I see that you're a prophet, but our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place we have to worship is in Jerusalem. Mm. And Jesus' response is, believe me, a time is coming and has, I'm reading it right now. As time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation from the yeah. Jews. Yet a time is coming has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is yeah, spirit. Yeah. And he said he's basically saying, like, the spirit will indwell where you are. You become the church. It's not the location. It's not where you are. Yeah. And, and that the temple is you. The temple is you. Building. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of what it says. And that's a I'm sure people will want to argue with me about that. But still, I think that is pretty clear in scripture where we go. You know, the location of worship was eradicated when Jesus tore the veil after his crucifixion. I completely agree. It's so funny, right? Yeah, Owen McManus has this great quote. He says, today's heresy is tomorrow's orthodoxy. And I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, like that just knocked <laughs> me over. That was so good, so precise. Right. But I even go back and I unpack a little bit of this in the book. You know, the, the great uh, the great revivalist in the UK, John Wesley, right? Everybody, all Methodists will love John Wesley. But he once said this, he, he once was quoted as saying, he had a, he had a guy, uh, Finney, who was, kind of he's like, um, not competition, uh, contemporary. That's the word I'm looking yeah. for, right? And, and Finney started preaching outdoors. 
and like was attracting all of these miners because right. he was preaching the gospel outdoors. People were getting saved. And John Wesley, the great revivalist, John Wesley in church history, like so venerated, so highly exalted. He said that preaching outside was vile and strange. And he said that because he preferred the quote, decency and order of the church building. The next year, he went out and started following Finney's uh, model and started preaching outdoors. Guess what happened? Revival came to the UK as a result of that. He changed his model. He shifted his thinking. And that's really all I'm asking churches to do. I'm not saying that online is right and physical is wrong. Like That's not my argument. I've never met an online pastor who thinks that online can replace in person. Mm. Nobody says that. I've never mm. said that. I, mm. I, I know a lot of the online pastors around the world. They don't say that. Nobody's ever said that. But we just need to change our model to incorporate the yeah. two. That's actually a really great segue. Right. Because some people, huh? segue, some people segue. say that they see no benefit or difference in going to church versus attending online. Like they don't feel the sense of community or the sense of connection when they're watching a service online versus in person. Like that's a big yeah. that's a big argument for not having online churches that you lose that sense of connection, which yeah. I can absolutely see. So playing devil's advocate, what like how do you how do you bridge that gap when there's when you when it's difficult? You know, there's a difference between us yeah. being here over Zoom versus sitting down for a cup of coffee together. Totally. Yeah, yeah, there's totally a difference. And again, I'm not saying that the and and I know you all agree with this, even though you're playing the devil's role in this, Megan. It's not about it's not about replacement. It's not a, it's not about that replacement of one for the other. We're not saying that. It's a and I'm certainly not saying that at any point during the book. What I am saying is this. Imagine a person who um hasn't gone to church before. In fact, let's really personalize it. I'm going to ask you guys to think this, and I'm going to ask your listeners to think of this as well. Think of somebody right now who's in your life, who is unchurched, doesn't believe in God at all, has never, and, and says they would never set foot inside a church, right? Now, imagine that person stumbles upon a YouTube video from, let's say Andy Stanley, because it's the only thoughts in my head from a He's the one that I just immediately thought. They stumble across a short YouTube video from Andy Stanley that talks about how following Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. They get in cap, they get, oh, that's kind of interesting. And they start clicking around YouTube and start watching some church services. Then they actually start watching, let's say, Life Church online as a result, right? That's the next step they take. They start watching it every week. They come to you and say, hey, I'm watching this uh, Life Church thing. It's really, really good. Um, what, what do you think of that? And you invite them to your small group and they start coming to your small group every single week. They're hearing the scriptures unpacked. They're watching Life Church online. They're still watching Andy Stanley on YouTube as well. Then they start listening to a podcast of, let's say, Tim Keller. Like, I'm trying to throw in as many different people as I can from as many different things, right? Yeah, that's an, that's an eclectic mix. So so they're listening to podcasts. They're coming to a small group. They're watching church online. They're watching clips on YouTube from pastors, right? And then they decide, you know what? I'm going to start giving financially to Life Church because that's where I'm getting the most fed. And so they start giving financially. So now they're watching church online, they're listening to worship music, they're giving to a church, they're in a small group, and then they say, hey, I want to start serving at the local soup kitchen. So now they're doing all of those things. My question would be this, do you all consider that person to be somebody who's following Jesus? The answer would be, yeah, we do. So then the next question is, how many footsteps does that person have to take inside a physical church building before we are okay with their spiritual growth? Yeah, I would say the answer is none. Mm. They don't have to. They get in community. 
but they just don't need to step inside a, foot, a building. Jesus never said, my disciples shall be known by how often they attend services. He didn't say that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, uh, he, we, we will be known by how much we love other people. And if that person who you're thinking of right now is doing all of those steps, I'm thinking about it from the person who I always think of, my unchurched mother-in-law in this situation. I'm kind of getting emotional thinking about it. If she was doing all of those things, my gosh, I would be thrilled. And mm-hmm. I would not be condemning her and telling her she has to set foot in a church building. When did we get that wrong? When mm-hmm. did we- my gosh. I don't know. I I feel the same frustration. And, you know, you see in response to this, sometimes you're like, you people are the pastor or the leadership of the church might say something to the effect of we're not doing the online church because we don't want people to be lazy or they won't show up at our church. You know, they just don't want to attend services or they just want to go to church in their pajamas. I'm like, who doesn't want to go to church in their pajamas? It's way more yeah. comfortable. And I don't have to drive and I don't have to drag my kids yeah. down. You know, it's like, of course, of course, that's easier. That's more convenient. Totally. I'd rather stay home. Um, so I think that, you know, the church has some big decisions to make when it comes to how we're going to deal with that in, I agree in reframing that idea of worship and meeting to gathering together. What do you think is, is something that needs to shift in our thinking? And that's my point. That's my point. We have to, we, we have to redefine the word gather, right. Mm -hmm. And, And Megan, to answer your question really, really directly, right. Is online different to in person? A hundred percent. The community is not the same. Like we are right now doing this over Zoom. It's not the same as if we were sitting around together watching, you know, having a coffee or whatever. But at the same time, we all know people in our own church who come in late, who leave early because they're trying to avoid the community. They sit up the back and they, they, they just want to get in and get out, right? We all know yeah. that it's the same sort of thing. Like we're all okay with that. We're okay with it because we see them walk inside a building. Do you know what I mean? This is where I, yeah. I think we have to be asking completely different questions about what we, what, what we're okay with from a spiritual growth point of view, because you know, that happens at every single church. I was a pastor on staff at North point for seven years. I know that that happened. I would see it happen on a regular, regular basis. Somebody would come in super late, drop their kids off, leave the service super early, pick their kids up early and get out. And, you know, nobody questions anything around that because the person's coming to church. It's all good. I just think we need to re, uh, we need to redefine our standards as a capital C church. When you say it like that, it makes it, it makes, it makes our perception of what being a part of the church looks like seem really obtuse. Um, right. But, but I just, I, again, I have to play devil's advocate here. Cause what kind of podcast would this be without some sort of conflict? Um, sure. Bring it. <laughs> it's true. Bring it. Um, In 2021, you gotta have the conflict. Gotta have conflict. That is all life is anymore. <laughs> That's all I know. It's all I'm comfortable with. I just bring chaos into the room. I was born in the dark. Um, uh, just, okay. Making this super practical, thinking through the online church versus the in-person church. You are arguing that we can maintain, we can maintain a connection because the connection of the, the, the benchmark of just showing up in person does not necessarily mean a relationship with Jesus or connection mm-hmm. to the church community. Mm-hmm. We can still have that online, but yeah. should the goal eventually, but we can also argue that being surrounded by a Christ-centered community helps is is key to keeping us connected to the Christ-centered community. So should our goal Great. be to eventually get per- people to be invested into the local church and giving back to the local church in, in physical ways? Yeah. Serving- I, super great question. Like, and, and the short answer is, I think, yes, people need to be connected into Christian community. 
But it, that's why in my example, I said the person is now coming to a small group every single week. Do you know what I mean? Like an that online small group? No, no. I'm saying in a, they're in a physical, they're watching Life Church online from where, like, let's say, oh, from, gotcha. let's say from uh, um, Austin, Texas, right? They're watching mm-hmm. Life Church online, but they're meeting physically with a small group of people in Austin, Texas, who are their friends or their family. And that's where they're getting that. I, I just think the church is shifting. The church mm. model is shifting. Yeah. Every pastor's, I think the way that we track uh, the, the, the measurement for success needs to change. We've always, it, it seems like for generations, mm-hmm. the measure of success is how many people are sitting in pews. How many people are sitting in the seat, right? That's the measure. Attendance is our measure. I think engagement needs to be our measure. Kerry Newhoff once said, engagement is the new attendance. And I agree. So what does engagement look like? And we're talking about social media. Engagement isn't likes and uh, comments and shares, right? What I'm talking about is somebody who's engaged in that community, attending a small group, financially supporting the community in whatever mm-hmm. way that, you know, going back to acts two, um, that they're um, serving somewhere, volunteering, maybe in a team, um, or they're serving their local community. They're, that's what I would consider engagement, um, yeah. that they're fully engaged with the community. So that's what I think should become our measure of success moving forward. And this is where I think there's going to be a shift. Most pastors, they get into it. And let's, you know, I, I just want to try to be super honest. When I became a Christian, started going to church, I was a senior in high school, started going to church. I got into ministry. I wanted our church to be huge. That was my goal. I don't know if it's anybody else's goal, if we're deep and true and honest about what we feel in ministry. We want a lot of people to start coming along and be invested in our community. But I think future church leaders will not will not have a target or a goal to become a mega church, but to become a meta church. And that word meta, what I mean by that, you know, that word meta is a prefix, which means to go beyond right? To go beyond something as in metaphysical or to change as in metamorphosis, right? And I think the church is going to go beyond just the Sunday, just beyond Mm -hmm. the walls of the church. And a meta church will be a church that literally meets every day, like in Acts 2.46, but they just meet in multiple different ways. Some of it's in person in a large group of corporately. Some of it's in person in a small group during the week. But this person who goes to a meta church might access the video content one week, listen on a podcast the next week, show up on Sunday at 11 a.m. or 9 a.m. and and be in person the next week, watch it on video demand on a website or on YouTube the week after that. That's my, it might be how it plays out. Barna seems to say that that's where it's headed. Like that people are, you know, even people who attend church regularly are only attending once every four to six weeks. Now that's, People who we would say are committed to our church. Yeah. Barna says they're showing up. That was pre-pandemic too, right? That was pre-pandemic. Why are we questioning this now? Like this was happening before COVID hit, yet we still counted those people as, no, they're committed to our church. Why did our our measurement of commitment shift? It's interesting because a lot of pastors would look at that exact scenario of events you just described and say that person, um, you ask them, how many times did they come to church? How many times did they attend? And the pastor might say three, four times out of those seven or eight examples. And that person would say seven, eight. I went to church eight times. Exactly. You know, and it's like, we have to understand that that's the culture we're dealing with. Our model is consumerism. I will say the difference is corporate worship. Yeah. Worshiping at home in my living room is absolutely not not even close to worshiping together with other believers. And Megan, I a thousand percent agree. I think that's the difference. Yes, we had we had these grand during when COVID hit, right? We had these grand, and when I say we, 
people who are church leaders. We had these grand ideas that, um, you know, people, families were in their homes. They were standing in front of their couches with their arms raised, watching the TV worship. What we found at North Point was within four weeks, our, our average view time on our online services plummeted like nearly 40%. It dropped nearly 40%. And as we looked at the analytics, what we realized was people were scrubbing through the worship. Yeah. And so we made a shift. We made an immediate shift because we were trying to replicate early on in the pandemic when the when the building got closed, we were trying to replicate what happens on a Sunday. Hosting spot, three songs, message, mm-hmm. right? That's a typical North Point service. It's probably a typical service at most churches. And we replicated that. But people were scrubbing through or not. Do you know what I mean? The, the mm-hmm. worship portion to get to the message. So when we brought that up, uh, so good. This is like a testament to Andy Sandy's leadership. The very next week, he shifted and he started the message with him preaching. And I, our viewership. I remember that. I remember we, that. We re- I watched yes. that. We regained the 40% instantly went mm-hmm. up and we dropped, we put worship at the end and we made it just one song because we realized, Megan, to your point, corporate worship standing shoulder to shoulder with people is just different. So in this book, I, one of the things I actually do is I advocate that I don't think any churches should stream online worship anymore. I think for that reason, if our goal is to reach the community, and this is what I think is key, when, when we think online, I remember when in 2008, when I first got into online ministry, right, I was, um, uh, I remember going to meet with Brandon Donaldson because he was the online pastor at Life Church at the time, and 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 I was at this church in New Jersey, and we just thought we had to keep doing everything the same way as it was done in regular church, and we were going to reach the world. And <clears throat> I remember sharing statistics of how many countries were listening and how many countries were viewed. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, we had 80 different countries watching and we cheered and we celebrated. Oh, that's awesome. My whole philosophy around that has shifted. I think you should stream your church online service to reach people who live within a 30 minute drive of your church because context is king online. Yes. Content yes. is not king. Context is king. Yes. We've, been, yes. we've been sold a lie that content is the key. Just put it out there. No, context is everything. And so I think a church who doesn't stream their online service every single Sunday, oh, sorry, their online worship, musical worship, because let's be honest, worship is one way. Uh, music is one way to worship God. It's not the way to worship God, even though we think differently to that in reality. But it's a it's, whole other podcast. Yeah, that's a whole, whole other, other podcast. I would say other. take the music out and just stream the message on your live thing. Now, the reason for that is it gives people an incentive to come back into the building to actually experience that thing, Megan, that you said is the key, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the whole thing here. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, we, we have to call out um, there are people who are homebound who would miss out on the opportunity to worship for whatever reason. Online is their lifeline because they can't get out of the house. So churches that do this would have to you know, provide some alternative to that, whether it's a midweek worship service that is literally just you know, pro- produced by the worship team or something along those lines. But I'm arguing that if we take that out, then um, we give people an incentive to come back into the building and we can do both at that point. We can both be online and both be offline. Now, there's going to be people who are against that, uh, people who are going to push back on that, people who are going to want to play the devil's advocate again. But, you know, there's this great quote uh, I, I use in the book, and I actually heard this from Mark Batterson just a couple of weeks ago. He, he was quoting this, R.T. Kendall, who wrote a book called The Anointing. Freaking great book, a, by the way. Is this a quote within a quote? Within this a is quote? a quote within a quote. Yeah, I just want to give credit to the person who showed me the quote. Yeah. Okay. Um, the cool. quote is this from R.T. Kendall. The quote is, sometimes, you'll listen to this, sometimes the greatest opposition to what God wants to do next comes from those who are on the cutting edge of what God did last. Mm. Oof. Right? Right. Oh, my Whoa. gosh. 
I, when when I heard just that, holding uh, on to it. Whoa, yes. And, oh my and we gosh. see that, right? Churches yeah. that are, uh, you know, it's the bell curve. People are at the top of the bell, church at the top of yep. the bell curve. Oh, what got us to the top of the bell curve? We just have to keep doing that. Well, God's doing something This is new what now. we've always done. Exactly. Now, and they don't even see that they're going down the bell curve, whereas the churches that are making the changes while they're on the trajectory up the bell curve, they're the ones that are going to get keep going up and to the right. Yeah, because the, the truth is church attendance has declined over the last 30 years steadily. Yeah, and so this is, and you guys have heard me say this, right, at, at whatever conferences and things when we've been around. Church attendance has not, I believe, church attendance has not been decreasing. It's been decentralizing because yep. for, for a couple of years now, maybe even 10 years, people have been accessing our content, our church content, podcasts, YouTube, video on demand, in the building, you know, multiple different ways. It's just decentralized more. But yep. we still say, well, no, church is on decline. Where, yet yeah, studies have shown, studies in Australia actually showed that during 2020, there was a big, uh, there was a big research project done that people who were searching for the, me uh, going to Google to search for the meaning of life, how do I find hope and questions about faith went up 38% just in Australia. Mm. This is from unchurched people who are just that. like, what do I do? How do I find? They need to be finding. I don't want them to find answers to those sorts of questions from some random 13-year-old YouTuber. I want them to land on videos that are generated, have been generated and created by people who have a theological degree who can help them take the next step in their, their faith journey. These are our church ministry moments of truth. And we need to be in those spaces. We can't just say, well, those. Those people asking these questions need to come to church. They're not asking those questions in church anymore. And they're not asking because they don't feel safe to ask them in church anymore because we've created a church culture that says, don't question anything. There's no nuances. Everything is black and white and there's no gray areas. We have to fix that. If we're going to talk about chaos, there's chaos in the church too, right? And our Big church time. leaders and our church pastors are feeling the weight and the strain of that. And so us, I think sometimes it might, it might seem a little absent-minded for us to sit here and say, well, you need to be doing online church and you need to be presenting all of this content here and creating, creating value online and do your in-person service and talk to people, you know? So like, what can we get super practical Yeah. and talk about like, what does that organizationally look like to be meeting people online and doing your in-person thing? How do you, how do you staff for that when you've got two people on staff or one person doing everything. Megan, that is such a great question because you're right. Pastors have never felt more overwhelmed. Every pastor I talk to right now is like, Hey man, I agree with you, but I just can't do that right now. And, and, and the pandemic taught us that how overwhelmed pastors are and will continue to be moving forward. So I think it's really an important question. And what I would say is this, I think, I think what we've been taught over the past few decades um, has been that polished, something that is highly produced and polished is the best. But the pandemic has shown us more than ever that personal is way greater than polished, right? TikTok has shown us that. TikTok has shown, you look at what, um, you know, Jimmy Fallon did um, during the pandemic. <sighs> He didn't I even try to that. fake it. Yeah, he I didn't fake that. it. His kids are it. interrupting. Kids are oh, interrupting. Dogs coming in. The yeah. You know, his kids are holding up things to as graphics. Like he just yes. called it, hey, you know what? This is not polished. But wasn't it so much better? We all like got, we all felt so connected with him. That's what I it think. It was refreshing. 
So refreshing. And that's what I would say to the pastors who are going, dude, I can't take on one more thing. Hey, I'm not asking you to produce something that is highly polished. I'm just asking you to do something that's highly personal. And Mm. it's actually more pastoral when you think about it. I had Mm. this pastor about two months into the lockdowns in 2020. I had this pastor reach out to me from Texas and he said to me, hey, can you help me with this? I've been streaming my services online for two years and I get like 200 views. Last week, I took my dog for a walk on a Wednesday night. And as I was walking around, I felt really prompted that I should pray for some people. So I got on YouTube live, started streaming live from my phone and just said, hey, if you're watching and you need prayer, let me know and I'll pray for you. And people started commenting, hey, I need prayer about this. And he would literally, while walking his dog around, they would talking to his phone and say, Hey, I'm praying for Seth right now, God. And I'm going to like, he literally just prayed for those people. He said he did that for about 45 minutes. The next day he woke up, that video had 17,000 views. And he said, I'm trying to understand why I would ever preach a message again and stream it when I get 200 views, when I take my dog for a walk and get 17,000, what happened there? And I said, dude, all it was, was you were personal, you were pastoral and you were personal. And you put those two values over the values of production and polish. Mm. I think pastors need to give themselves a break on the polished and the produced and just stream and just go, hey, how can I pray for you? Like that's the easiest thing in the world to do. I would say just start doing that and see what connections yeah. it makes. When we make posts like that for our clients, church comm team, with we work with churches and we, we do, how can we pray for you? Those yeah. are always the ones that come back with actual comments and interaction and people, people share things on that post that, you know, they're like personal. Exactly. And for two reasons, Seth, one is it goes back to the zero moment of truth, right? Somebody mm-hmm. you've, you're there in them actual moment when this is happening and, and you're responding to it initially, like straight away. Yeah. The other thing is studies. Have, and I outline this in the book, studies have actually shown that people are way more personal online than they are in person. Yeah. And I've experienced this as a pastor, like the, the amount of conversations I've had with people, you know, counseling sessions where it takes three sessions for the person to actually get into the issue of, yes, I've been looking at porn for a couple of years. I got an addiction, three sessions online, two direct messages is done. Like you, you it makes you more yeah. efficient as well. So to the pastors, Megan, who you're talking about and asking that question on behalf of doing stuff online is actually going to make your job more efficient you're going to actually have a greater impact in a shorter amount of time. So that's another reason why I would say to do it. Absolutely. Um, You you hit on something really important there. Talking about being personal in the stuff that you're doing. And you shared something the other day that was a stat. And I think you, I think you were doing, I think you were doing book book research. I think is what you were really doing, but you posted this thing that nine (laughs) out of 10 young people uh, did not hear from their church during the pandemic. Yeah. And obviously there's a lot of stuff that goes into the stats and, and research and things like that of who was that and all that kind of stuff. But tell me a little bit about that stat and what that says kind of, I mean, is that, is that the problem to solve right there? Is that, is that what we're hit? We're oh, about? a thousand percent. Yeah. So, so I didn't do that. I didn't do that research. It was done in 2021 by a company called Springtide and, and they, they interviewed, um, I look off the top of my head. I think it was like 2000, um, 2,500, I think young people, 13 to 25 and talked from a whole bunch of different, you know, faith traditions and talked to them about, um, 
uh, you know, how they're feeling and loneliness was the big thing. And essentially what they said was uh, nine out of the 10 said a faith leader did not contact me at all during the pandemic. Right Mm -hmm. now I posted that online because that was one of those stats that was twofold for me. First of all, it was like, that's heartbreaking for those nine out of 10. That's so heartbreaking that nobody reached out to them. But also I was trying to make a point in the book when I, when I talk about this, about how we approach stats like that as Christians and as the capital C church, and so I put it out there and, you know, sure enough, people started pushing back. That's not true. I reached out to every, and, and I know a ton of youth pastors and student ministry and college pastors who bent over backwards to, to connect with the people. So, yeah. uh, you know, totally. I, I, so I get that argument, but essentially um, they were saying, well, you know, that there must be more to that. And there is, there is more to it for sure. And the more to it is that of the 2,500, uh, only like 1,600 of them were people who were Christians. The others were Muslims and Hindus or, or atheists, right? right? But you know, even of the even of the the sixteen hundred or so who were Christians, it was still nine out of ten didn't get a connection point with their church. And mm-hmm. so then people started to argue that and go a little bit further. Well, how deeply connected were they to their church in the six months leading up to that the pandemic? How often did they attend that? And for me, I was like, okay, I'm making the point that there are lonely people in the world, lonely young people. But I'm also making the point that we, as the church, we try to put square pegs into round holes all the time and make this the data back up what our agenda is or what our filter is or what our bias is. And that's really part of the point that I was making when I put it out there was we all have this bias that we don't see. The Hebrews 1025 people, I'm never going to convince them that they should yeah. do online, right? They've, they come into it with a bias. But the thing for me is this, Reggie Joyner, who who used to work at North Point, now is the uh, CEO of Orange, right. uh, which is a church strategy company. He said this one time, he said, everything changes when it's someone you know. And I reckon I quote that every single week because everything does change when it's somebody you know. And if you know somebody who was in that nine out of 10, or if you were one of the people in that nine out of 10, everything matters like that's a huge deal to you and because i know kids who are lonely i'm leaning towards the nine out of ten because i know people who are unchurched and who who feel like they will can never set foot inside a church i want churches i naturally want churches to go online to reach those people so the whole point of that is was a bias towards that but the other thing is we live in a world where um you know i look through the stats and and Look, I'm not going to quote this exactly. You have to buy the book to do it. But in the US, it's one out of every, did you like that, Megan? That one out good. of every four people experience loneliness during 20, 2020 and 2021. One out of five in Europe felt loneliness, experienced loneliness during 21, uh, 20 and 21. And in Australia, it was one out of two people felt lonely during t- 2020, 2021. These, these are people who have 10,000 followers, but they feel like they have no friends. Mm-hmm. We have to be reaching out to these people. We have to be doing what we can to connect mm-hmm. with them. And it's Acts 246. It comes back to that. We have to connect yeah. with them every day. What you're talking about are the dynamics of a healthy relationship. If we want to say we want people to have a relationship with the church, a relationship goes both ways. Yep. I don't have a relationship with a person that never reaches out to me. I'm going to eventually stop pursuing them if it's only ever on their terms. I totally agree. Seth is doing brilliant. A, slow, a slow clap. And I'm doing <laughs> a it story well. of my life. I so mean, it's, just, it's the story of my life. I honestly resonate with that so much. It's that I have so many friends that I'm yeah. friends with and I reach out and I try to have relationship with them and they never reciprocate. And that hurts, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's like I give up 
And then I look around and I go, I don't have very many friends. Well, mm. this is this is one thing you know? too, where I think having that. having a smaller church is so helpful. Mm-hmm. The average church has like 85 people in America. Yeah. It's very small. It's for sure under 200. So yeah. when you have a smaller church like that, like when you talked about in the beginning of the podcast, we talked a little bit about like you wanted to have a mega church when you first got saved. Um, but like the smaller churches, the normal churches have a leg up here because it's so much easier to stay connected to everybody in your congregation when yeah. you have 85 people there. Um, yeah. 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 And this for me is, it goes back to that idea. Right. Um, and you know, you, you guys know that I worked at a, I worked at a mega church for seven years. Like, and I love that. I loved every experience. I would never change a thing. I just think we, we need to be thinking less about mega and more about meta that idea of being in everybody's life on a regular basis, that idea of staying connected on a regular basis. And, and, you know, you can achieve that in a mega church, but it, you're to your point, it does take a lot more work, I think, and a lot more resources to do that. Um, but this is where I think, you know, in the future, the church is probably going to lean a little bit more first century, a little bit more house church. You look at that acts, acts two thing, right? Again, we, we cherry pick the bits that we want out of it, but they met in each other's houses mm-hmm. and it literally says they met outside the temple. You play it out. If you're going to follow the Acts 2 model, there's no church building. There's a courtyard and there's houses and mm-hmm. you're connecting every single day. And there's no way they could reserve that space on planning center every week. <laughs> it's just ridiculous to think that they would give it to them every week. There's the no logistics, way. the logistics. Logistics are a nightmare. Oh gosh. But you're okay, right. So- yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, I don't know. I feel like in, in this moment, you know, this is essentially reframing what it means to gather it's to actually pursue a relationship with people exactly and and we've relied on our structured services to do that for us agreed and and now and now we have to actually intentionally figure out ways to do that because the structure program is not necessarily as effective as it was yeah if it ever really was recently there was a time it was very effective you know and it's still effective but now not so much, you know, like we have to really rethink what does it mean to gather? And I think yeah. there's an active component of pursuing that gathering that we can use these tools to do that yeah. requires us to be a little bit more pragmatic about our weekly time, spending it on that rather than planning a program service. Agreed. So that's my thought. That's my soapbox. That's Those are good. good thoughts. Those are good thoughts. Well, as we wrap up here, um, you've got a book coming out. We've talked about it. You've gotten to interview some, some names, some people, right? Some people, people know. Yeah. And I just wanted to know out of that really quick, like what, what are some of your big takeaways out of that from those interviews, the conversations you've had with some of them? Yeah. What are one or two things you're like, man, when, when John Acuff said this, I was like, yeah. what? Um, what, what are some of those for you? So there's so many things, right? Because I got to talk to people like John Acuff, uh, Cara Powell from Fuller Youth Institute, uh, Mark Batterson, mm-hmm. uh, JP Plakluda, who's a pastor in Texas who yeah. is crushing YouTube, like such a good... Anyway, so I, I got to talk to people like that and even uh, Alan George, the old, uh, the former Life Church online guy. Uh, I think if I had to say overall, I, I left those conversations with a lot of hope that there are churches who are actually focused on reaching people online who know the importance of connect uh, leveraging 
technology to connect with people. And that's the overwhelming thing. Because I think in our world, we can be in an echo chamber as well. And it can become discouraging when we see churches saying, hey, I'm going to stop doing online now that we're back in person, or I'm, you know, the building is more important than, you know, all of those things, it can be discouraging. So talking to all those people, it literally just made me go, there's a lot of hope for the future. And I really believe that uh, the church has the capacity to hand over to my three daughters a better church than what we got. Mm. And that's really the hope that I found in those conversations. And that's really the hope of this, of what I'm writing at the moment. It's just all about how do we hand over a better capital C church to the next generation? One that's prepared to connect with people on a deeper, more personal level, rather than just a polished and produced level. I love it. I love that. When does that, when does the book drop? April, March, April. April. Yeah. Not 100% sure yet. Okay. So be looking for that. It's called Disciple Click. And, yes. And uh, I love that title. So Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Always a, always a pleasure to talk to you, pick your brain, and hear kind of what you're doing right now because you're always doing new and interesting things. So thanks for being on that forefront and you know paving the way for some of us to kind of explore these ideas. So love having you here, man. Thanks so much. So great to see you guys. Thanks for having me on. Megan, thanks for asking those tough questions. You're welcome for bringing the chaos. Absolutely. You guys rock. Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening to the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast. We'll be back again soon. And you can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We'd love it. So have a great one and we'll see you soon. Bye.